Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1988, Rafi learned something that shocked him. He'd gone to hear a talk about beluga whales at the Science Center in Toronto. Rafi had loved these whales since he first saw one named Kavna at an aquarium a decade earlier. Kavna inspired him to write his most famous song, Baby Beluga. Baby beluga in the deep blue sea Swim so wild and you swim so free Heaven above Raffi wrote it at a time when the Save the Whales movement was just starting. Baby Beluga, baby Beluga, is the water warm? People don't want to hear anger or sadness or frustration at how things may have got to. They want to hear, and they are inspired by the love in our hearts, especially the love for our young. And I thought instead of writing a lament, I would write a beautiful love song for a magnificent creature, the beluga whale. You know, what you love, you care about, and you want to protect. But at the Science Center, Rafi learned that beluga whales were dying at an alarming rate. Their lesioned-covered bodies were washing up on the shores of the St. Lawrence River, just 200 miles from Toronto. Industrial pollution had turned the whales into hazardous waste sites and left them with cancer. Raffi was devastated. If this was happening to the beluga whales, the very animal he made famous in his song, what were all these toxins doing to the children living near the river? He wasn't sure if he could ever sing Baby Beluga again. You know, it 
was one thing to think about children with love and to sing loving songs with them and for them. But if the world that we all live in, if our children's future is compromised unless we change our ways, well, what's the point of just singing, I, I said to myself. I mean, songs and music are great, but they only go so far. You, you need to take care of the theater in which we are singing, if you will, right? The home theater. Rafi began to question everything, his identity, his relationships, the world. I'm Chris Garcia, and this is Finding Rafi, a 10-part series from iHeartRadio and Fatherly in partnership with Rococo Punch about the life, the philosophy, and the work of Rafi, the man behind the music. By the late 80s, Rafi was tired and burnt out. He'd been touring nonstop, his creativity felt limited, and he was angry and despairing. He needed a break from playing to young children. So he made a pretty big decision that stunned everyone around him. He decided to take a year off. No concerts, no touring. Instead, Rafi spent a lot of time learning about the world, and he found himself reading about one environmental disaster after another. Acid rain, a growing hole in the ozone layer, the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. This was also when he discovered the radio series It's a Matter of Survival, which might sound familiar. It was made by his good friend David Suzuki, and it had a huge impact on Rafi. It said that unless we as a species collectively acted in a timely manner to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, we risk their reaching a point where the warming is irreversible, and that would be catastrophic. So when I heard the word irreversible, I had a major meltdown within myself. Because that's the appropriate response, actually. It, I mean, that's major fear. Oh my God, it would get so bad that we couldn't do anything about it? That ought to scare you to the core, and it did, me. Meanwhile, Rafi and his wife Deb split up. He moved out of the house they shared and found a bachelor pad, and he returned to an earlier hobby of his, painting. In his autobiography, Rafi wrote that he filled the walls with his own art, oil pastels of abstract images and female nudes. He was kind of spreading his wings. Well, it was a year of introspection and a year of... Uh, a year that led to new songs. I wrote Our Dear, Dear Mother. I get teary when I hear Our Dear, Dear Mother. Daily provider, earth be your name. The time has come to honor you, to know you and to show our love. Our dear, dear mother, daily time has come to honor you, to know you and to show our love. Rafi emerged from his sabbatical with a focused mission to protect the planet. And he had a new album, Evergreen, Everblue. It was his wake-up call to the destruction of the Earth. It was a big shift for Rafi. 
His earlier children's songs had hinted at environmentalism, songs like All I Really Need and Thanks A Lot. But now, Raffi had an entire album devoted to the planet. Amazon is calling Help this planet Earth With voices from the jungle This time, Raffi wanted to connect with adults and teens, the people he felt could stop climate change. Not his typical fans, toddlers who struggled to sit quietly through his performances. So Raffi set his sights on MTV. Music videos were all the rage. They still are in some ways. But that's what you required in in order to, for people to get to, you know, see your, your song. The reason I tried it was I, f- I felt so passionate about this planet that needed all of us to, you know, it's, it's up to you, it's up to me, so-called. And at the same time, I felt it wasn't five-year-old's job to help the Amazon stay intact. <laughs> you know. Raffi filmed the music video for Evergreen, Everblue in an old growth forest on Vancouver Island. In it, he sings and plays guitar beneath the giant canopies of Douglas firs and Sitka spruce. He has a group of people singing with him. Young environmentalists, tribal members, and the Raging Grannies, a group of grandmother activists. It kind of looks like a nature documentary. Kind of like a music video made for PBS. There are shots of waterfalls and sunlit dappled leaves, at one point, Raffi hugs a moss-covered tree and passes around a crystal ball. He says it was a metaphor for the future of the planet being in human hands. And then the video takes a turn and cuts to Raffi standing in a barren field in front of a pile of tree stumps. When we made the Evergreen Ever Blue video, I was taken to some clear-cutting sites just to experience what a clear-cut forest is like. It feels like you are standing in death. Clear cuts are horrible and a really stupid idea of a bottom line money worshiping culture. That's why I was so passionate in making the Evergreen Never Blue album, trying something new for, you know, a slightly older kids audience, you know. I was basically jumping through hoops to try and make a difference. In true Raffi style, he thought about every detail on his new album. When Evergreen Everblue is released in 1990, record stores were transitioning from selling vinyl to selling CDs. And the easiest way to do that was to put CDs in long boxes. Those tall skinny boxes that are about twice the size of a CD. That's so they could be displayed in the existing record bins. The problem was, that meant CDs came with a ton of unnecessary packaging. Raffi put his foot down. He was one of the first artists to refuse to sell his music in wasteful packaging. But it cost him. Some record stores wouldn't carry his album. And that didn't go according to plan. In the end, Evergreen Ever Blue was far from a smash hit. MTV never aired his music videos, and radio stations didn't give the album much play. Raffi said he heard from angry parents who were upset that the music wasn't appropriate for children. 
I was too well known as a children's artist to be played on adult uh, music video stations. It wasn't possible for that children's icon, as people considered me at the time, to then change his audience. It just wasn't possible. This was all a crazy irony to Rafi. In his autobiography, he questioned how kids who grew up on his music could watch, quote, junk sex footage and macho rap, but not his ecology music video. Rafi was frustrated and demoralized. He was reading the news and listening to dire warnings by scientists about the damage humans were doing to the planet. He felt there was no time to wait. Evergreen Ever Blue was his immediate response to climate change. Why didn't his fans understand? Like, how much clearer does it have to be? A warning to humanity. It's like, it's like some sci-fi movie where the, you had some alien ship lands and there's this warning to humanity. Like, hello? Every year, this Union of Concerned Scientists would come out with another you know, version of this warning. Well, what warning? will we need next to convince us? What will it take? Do we love enough? That's my question. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, 
take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm still trying to picture a Raffi music video on MTV in the early 90s. Evergreen, Everblue on rotation with Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit or Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. Look, I give him credit for trying, but I'm thinking maybe he underestimated how hard it would be to transform his image and get his message out. And Evergreen, Everblue misses everything I love about Raffi. In his earlier stuff, he was playful and genuine. It was infectious because he was having fun. If Baby Beluga was candy, this was vegetables. Here's what I mean. Listen to the ending of Willoughby Wallaby Woo from Singable Songs for the Very Young. Willoughby Wallaby when an elephant sat on Ken. And Willoughby Wallaby Waffy, an elephant sat on Raffy. Now compare that to We Are Not Alone from Evergreen, Everblue. We're crying, shut down the spread of atomic waste. We're crying, shut down the threat of a nuclear haze. We're saying, no more can we believe that it's safe to hide our heads in the sand and pretend not to understand the poison of our It just doesn't sound like Raffi. He's trying so hard, but his words and his whole vibe feel forced, like he's playing a character. Who 
turn it down Overall, the album feels a little lost. There's pop music mixed with folk and reggae, but unlike his earlier music, this doesn't sound cohesive. It sort of feels like he's searching for something, maybe even for himself. Now, I am not a music critic, and I respect what Rafi was trying to do. He was calling out the harsh realities of climate change. He was done singing about happy beluga whales because that didn't get people to protect them. We are literally breathing, drinking, and eating the nourishment that our mother provides. So do we really not understand the connection between Mother Earth and us, her children? Do we really not understand our very dependence on the air, water, soil quality of this beautiful planet that we call home. Raffi's fans weren't the only ones confused by Evergreen, Everblue. The press didn't understand his new direction either. And I'll admit, the newspaper articles were rough. In 1992, the Washington Post ran a piece called Raffi's Growing Pains. The reporter wrote, The new Raffi writes angry music for adults now. Time magazine questioned why the most popular children's singer abandoned his audience. Evergreen Everblue, the magazine said, was not merely inappropriate for toddlers. It is a warning screech of apocalypse. That had to hurt. Raffi devoted a big chunk of his autobiography to these articles, how he felt the media dismissed his environmental awakening. He says he was chalked up to being a madman or having a midlife crisis. Adopting an environmental message and appealing to an older audience was a big gamble. Dorian Linsky is the author of 33 Revolutions Per Minute, a history of protest songs. Dorian reminded me about the Dixie Chicks, or the Chicks as they're now known, and what can happen when an audience doesn't go along with an artist's transformation. So a really extreme example which interests me is in 2000 three when Natalie Maines and the Dixie Chicks criticised the Iraq War and George Bush on stage in London and said, I'm ashamed President of the United States is from Texas. Got a huge cheer in the room. Then that line was quoted in a review, which got picked up by talk radio and Fox News and so on. And they became demonised by conservatives, but also by the country scene. And they were, they were pulled off the radio and there were these kind of ceremonial, you know, smashing of their CDs. They were viciously attacked. And I think that's an example of what happens when the audience and your scene violently reacts to your politics. I don't think people were reacting to Rafi's politics. I think they just didn't like his new vibe. He literally changed everything that people loved about him. Still, it's risky for an artist to release protest music. Dorian says it's successful when audiences are also feeling upset or uneasy, like when the economy is tanking or the world's on the brink of a nuclear war. The problem is, Raffi released Evergreen Everblue in 1990. 
the economy is fairly stable, that we're not worried that democracy itself is under threat and, you know, the planet is burning. It's a very optimistic time. It's sort of the end of apartheid and it's the end of the Cold War. It's not really a time of crisis when people are looking for crisis art. Even with the critical reviews and the angry feedback from fans, Raffi was undaunted. He felt the world was heading in the wrong direction. In 1992, he traveled to the United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro with environmentalists David Suzuki and his daughter Severn. Severn was 12 years old at the time and gave a speech to a packed audience. And by the time her five or seven minute talk was done, she got a standing ovation. And Al Gore walked all the way over to where Severn was sitting, reached out his hand, and he said, Severn, that's the best speech I've heard all week. Wow. What was it about this speech that had caused such a stir and had such an impact on these adults? She said, I came 5,000 miles to tell you adults you must change your ways. She said, you say you love us, and I challenge you, please, show us. Please reflect that love, she said, in your choices. Pretty powerful. I challenge you, she said, reminiscent of Greta Thunberg today. Yeah. Who's challenging adults to not get in the way of the healthy future that she and all the world's children, all of us, deserve. Pretty potent. That is exactly what Severn Kalas Suzuki said at the age of 12. Realizing the hypocrisy of adults was something Rafi could relate to from his own childhood. He felt like his parents would tell him one thing, but then do the opposite. He grew up feeling like he couldn't trust them to tell him the truth. And there was something else. Severn was just 12 years old. And there she was, speaking to the United Nations. She was supported and empowered by her parents. She had everything Rafi wanted as a kid, to be seen and heard for who she was. Maybe finally, as an adult, he could be too. You know, not a lot of people were talking about climate at that time that had such a platform as him. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 92 Earth Summit in Rio had a big impact on Rafi. 
he soaked up as much as he could. He rubbed elbows with then-Senator Al Gore, and he was blown away by conservationist Jacques Cousteau's warnings about the degradation of the oceans. But it was Severn Kala Suzuki's speech that really resonated with Rafi. He was awed by the power of a child's voice. Maybe kids could be the changemakers after all. Rafi left Rio vowing to support these young activists. His legacy is, is one that I certainly relate to. Again, this idea that we're all in this together and, and we all need to protect the world. Philippe Cousteau is Jacques Cousteau's grandson, and he's following in his family's footsteps as a filmmaker, author, and environmental activist. You probably know this, but Philippe's grandfather, Jacques, was a badass. He helped invent scuba diving. His films about marine life sparked an understanding of what's deep in the oceans and why we have to protect them. He was a huge inspiration to Rafi, too. And my grandfather always said, you know, before we can talk about conservation, we have to talk about education. We have to talk about how we reach beyond the converted and start to provide opportunities for young people to engage in any social movement in history. If it's successful, it's successful because it's driven by a younger generation. Working with young people and supporting and nurturing their ambitions, that's something both Philippe and Rafi share. In 2005, Philippe co-founded Earth Echo International. It's an organization that works with kids to inspire environmental activism. What I see in young people all the time is they don't know the meaning of the word no. Young people have this, this wondrous ability to cut through the BS get to the root of the problem, and question the very nature of why things are the way they are and how they work. And uh, that's just a wondrous, inspiring attribute that young people have that that we as adults could learn a lot from. Instead of getting caught up in, in what isn't possible, we should spend a lot more time being caught up in what is possible. Philippe says that sometimes as adults, we just have to get out of the way. We have worked with young people who help to draft legislation in South Florida to require solar panels to be built on new buildings, and it passed. People forget that it was a young girl, probably not much older than 12 or 13 years old, that petitioned Maine, the state of Maine, to ban styrofoam in fast food, particularly in McDonald's, takeout. It passed the legislature because of her fearsome advocacy for this, and then McDonald's was like, well, we're not just going to create a separate container for one state. And they eliminated styrofoam from their entire takeout chain. One light, one sun, one sun lighting everyone. How do we help them recognize that they can be powerful? I think that the despondency, the sadness, and the, the despair that happens for so many people is when you one feels like. One doesn't have an impact. One has no power. One has no agency in the world. And that's not true. I think all of us can feel sad and despairing at times, but despair is not an energy to give ourselves over to. We feel it, we note it, and we set it aside because we've got work to do. And our children need us to do the work. If we can show people around the world why nature is valuable to their lives, then they're going to protect it 
in their own enlightened self-interest, which is the best thing we can do. This is Sanjin. He runs an organization called Conservation International. They do a lot to protect the earth, like working with communities on sustainable farming practices and planting trees to counter deforestation. For Sanjin, it all starts with placing a value on nature, something he learned early on growing up in Sri Lanka. When I was born, my grandmother took me to see an astrologer. And the astrologer told me that, um, well, told my grandmother that I would die by drowning. So they kept me out of the water. They didn't want me to swim in the ocean. In fact, I wasn't even allowed to take a bath. They would literally pour, you know, cups of water over my head. Wow. Right? And it made some sense, some logical sense. My grandmother loved me, and she was very aware of how little time I had. And so what she wanted to do, she wanted to protect me. But when Sanjin was nine, his mother secretly taught him how to swim. My mother isn't any great swimmer, but she's taught me how to swim, and it changed my life. And, and since then, I've literally gone diving in almost every ocean on the planet, from the Arctic to, you know, Raja Ampat, Indonesia, to the Solomon Islands, to the coast of California, right? And I wondered often, like, why my mom broke with tradition and took that risk and taught me how to swim. And, and the, what I can think about that is that my, my grandmother loved me and so wanted to protect me. My mother loved me, but she also valued my life. She started investing in me. And that's the guiding kind of star that has always guided my work and my career. So I know I hate to say it this way, but I don't think love alone is enough to actually make anything stick. You also have to value it if it's going to be sticky over the long period of time. Working to protect the planet isn't Sanjin's only job. He's a new dad like me, with a little daughter at home. How do you plan to talk to her about climate change? When you have a child, I think that you want to protect this kid. We do owe it to that next generation not to completely be so engulfed in our own doom and gloom that we forget the beauty and wonder and the resilience that this planet has. And don't forget reinforcements on the way. You know, when I look at my daughter, when I look at kids in school, I am blown away by the level of intelligence, sophistication, tech savviness, care that they have. So I do have some faith that this next generation is going to be the rescue generation. I just don't want to spoil it so much that she can't get to also enjoy it. There's a fine balance between being a savior and savoring something, and you got to do a bit of both. Hi, Rafi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Can you see me? Yep. Awesome. I called Rafi one morning last fall. I'd read about the historic rains that were forcing people from their homes not far from him in Canada. How's everything with the, the floods up there? Are, are you safe? Um, I've, been, um, I've been reading mm. about it and following along. Is everything okay up there? Thank you. It's fine for me. I'm one of the lucky ones. Uh, Mother Nature's fury um, has been devastating for communities in my province of British Columbia. There's no question that the climate emergency we're in is exacerbating and bringing about these extreme weather conditions and will continue to do so. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to get how perilous the situation is and that bold climate action is the only way forward to address it. Rafi was tired. 
The floods arrived just a few months after extreme heat and wildfires had ravaged the region. It's been over 30 years since he released Evergreen Ever Blue, and not much has changed. Rafi's worries haven't changed either. What does your daughter Sunny need in this world? She needs uh, intact ancient forests uh, for many, many reasons, including their beauty. I mean, it's, it's astonishing to me that we have to fight for the protection of beauty and these trees that soak up carbon. That's what we want. We need these people doing carbon offsets, plant trees. How about keeping the ones we already have, like the giant ones, you know? Sorry, I just went on a bit of a rant there. No, I completely understand, and I uh, I appreciate the passion. I, sometimes I will um, think about the future and the present moment and Sunny and what kind of world she's going to live in, and sometimes I just feel like I lose hope, or I'll stay up an extra hour at night tossing and turning. Do you ever feel like that? We have seen tragic escalation of summer wildfires of enormous intensity, of unprecedented. Wake up, people. Wake up to this climate threat. It's our children, the world we love. All of this. All of this. Rafi has always been open to reinvention. So maybe it's not a surprise that he'd circle back to his young fans and to the idea of respect, that core value that launched his career in the first place. Because Rafi was discovering that maybe there was a link between protecting the planet and how we raise our kids. Next time on Finding Rafi. This philosophy, which essentially woke me up from a sound sleep with those two words sort of suspended in the air, child honoring. I knew in that luminous moment that I was being given something that would be the work of the rest of my life. Finding Rafi is a production of iHeartRadio and Fatherly in partnership with Rococo Punch. It's produced by Catherine Fenelosa, Meredith Honig, and James Trout. Production assistance from Charlotte Livingston. Alex French is our story consultant. Our senior producer is Andrea Aswahe. Emily Foreman is our editor. Fact-checking by Andrea Lopez-Cruzado. Rafi's music is courtesy of Troubadour Music. Special thanks to Kim Layton at Troubadour. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert and John Parati at Rococo Punch, Ty Trimble, Mike Rothman, and Jeff Eisenman at Fatherly, and me, Chris Garcia. Thank you for listening. We're just living and grooving with one another, you know? It's just, it's just this is real life, folks. This ain't just like, just some things I'm concerned about. This is real life. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.